Welcome to the Library Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Harganen. My topic for this half hour is guns in the library, ranging from people who bring guns into your library, either in a holster or concealed in some other way, or even open carry. And we'll also talk about the rare possibility of an active shooter in your library. Let's start by saying that guns in your library is probably a rare thing. You may never see one in your entire career. You may see two in one day brought in by somebody or a group of somebody's carrying guns. So context is really important in this discussion. Lots of times people tell me about situations where they saw somebody with a holstered firearm that's covered up by a jacket. Let's say a patron is reaching for a book or something and you see the exposed part of their firearm. That tends not to worry me as much as somebody who has jammed a gun into their waistband and come inside the library. And the reason for that is most people that I know that have a concealed carry permit or are into concealed carry from the standpoint of having gone through the training and got a permit and are following all the legal guidelines are also very concerned about not showing their firearm to anybody. It's called printing or imprinting, and they don't want to do it. So they choose their clothing carefully. They choose what they wear and how they wear it. They want to make sure that nobody sees that they're wearing a gun outside of their house when they leave for the day. So typically when I see a situation where someone has come into the library or any public building and there's a piece of an exposed firearm in a holster, I'm less concerned. Now context, again, is important. You have to look at this person and decide do they look like somebody who is there to do harm or do they look like somebody who is simply not realizing that their firearm is exposed even just a little bit. The other type of person who comes in with a gun stuffed into their waistband gives me more concern, gives me more thoughts about uh, acting out or somehow trying to intimidate or scare people by bringing a gun into the library. So you need to make a decision in consultation with your coworkers, your bosses, yourself, and your intuition as to what's going on in that situation and how you might need to intervene. It is necessary sometimes to have a conversation with your colleagues and bosses to decide whether you need to call the police for this situation or simply watch and see what happens. And, and, and in those situations, do you want to go and confront this person or have somebody in a security function confront this person about their firearm in your library? That may not be the best choice. In, and when it comes to guns and situations like that, sometimes it's best to let sleeping dogs lie and not confront somebody who's carrying their gun in this haphazard or reckless manner. I've seen people do it. I don't know why they do. Uh, sometimes it's for gang members. Sometimes it's for people who are hardcore criminals. Other times it's just people that are not aware that, that they're displaying a gun in some unsafe manner, being unholstered and sticking out of their pocket or something like that. It makes a lot of people afraid. Sort of in that same vein, there are, are also some people that we would call open carry or constitutional carry gun folks. These people have a desire, and I'm not sure why that always is, but they have a desire to carry their guns outside and exposed. So you'll see somebody come inside your facility with a gun in a holster, and it's not covered by a jacket, not covered by clothing. And sometimes you can see these people at the Starbucks, and they have a rifle wrapped around their, their back in a sling or something as they're getting the Starbucks. This type of constitutional carry or open carry is typically uh, designed by somebody who wants to confront or be confronted by somebody about what the law is. Uh, most of the people that I've dealt with in this part of uh, where I live in the world where this thing happens in terms of the open carry or constitutional carry are not necessarily looking for a fight of a, of a physical perspective or a gun battle, certainly. They're looking to have a political discussion about whether or not what they're doing is appropriate or legal.
not only do we need to think about the context with these types of people, but we also need to look at the law. It is possible that you have in your state, and it varies from state to state, um, a, a, a legal issue for people who are able to carry in this open carry sort of way where it's not illegal. It's usually a state mandate, part of the state penal code. You may ask your city attorney or your county counsel or your DA's office or whatever lawyers you get your legal advice from for your library or library district as to what the rules are about open carry or conce or versus concealed carry in your library and whether this type of open carry or constitutional carry, as they call it, can be prohibited by either city codes, county code, um, state statutes, or even your code of conduct. So one thing that we see in some libraries is a sign that says no guns allowed. And that may be a city code or a, or a municipal code for the county, and it may be something that's been in play for a long time and, and is, is reasonable to put up outside your library. But you need to get good legal advice to see whether or not it is possible to say no weapons, no firearms are allowed inside the library. We may be able to say that as part of our code of conduct, but we don't want to be against uh, whatever laws exist that may allow that because many states, especially in the Midwest of the country, Texas, places like that where I am in Missouri, there's a pretty liberal gun laws as opposed to California or Maryland or New York or Illinois where the gun laws are quite strict. So make sure you get good advice before you post signs outside your library that say no firearms inside. And also, if it's part of your code of conduct, make sure that, that you're in, in conjunction with what the state law says. So I do believe that signage is useful in these situations, whether it says no weapons in the library, no firearms in the library. I like those things. I think it's not a perfect deterrent, but it does give people at least pause. You may be able to say to somebody who is questioning this, you know, you can come into the library, but you can't bring your gun inside if that's what our state code or county code or penal code or uh, um, code of conduct says. We don't want to get into confrontations with people over their guns, but we have the right to create a safe workplace. The parallel that we see in situations like that is whatever the, the uh, state law is or the county law is for things like public buildings, like government buildings, uh, certainly courthouses, mental health hospitals, uh, public health hospitals, uh, places where the government has put strict restrictions on people bringing firearms in, your library may be part of those restrictions as well. And it's good to ask that question. If your county has a strict moratorium about people bringing um, firearms into government buildings and you're, quote, a government building, then you may be covered under that, that legal umbrella. So make sure you get some good legal advice before you change your signage or put up signage and make sure that it is in compatibility with your code of conduct. So when you look at these people that do the open carry, um, rifles and shotguns and handguns that they bring into public buildings, oftentimes they're looking to get on TV to make a kind of a speech about the Second Amendment. They're looking to cause some type of, of discussion that they want to have oftentimes at the top of their lungs. And sometimes those can be pretty scary individuals because they're certainly standing there armed and you're like, why'd you bring a gun into the library? So be careful when dealing with that population. You may think about talking to them as a group uh, with a group of supervisors and having a, as quiet a conversation as you can without startling anybody. Oftentimes their goal is just to get people you know, roused up about the issues of firearms in a public place. The decision to call the police in certain situations involving people with guns in the library is really a, a, a contextual one and it's one that I can't offer a perfect yes, no, do, do not type of a situation. 
You have to look at the context and say, what does this person's behavior look like to us? Does this person look like they're irrational and out of control of their emotions and feelings and behavior? Or do they look like just a normal citizen who happens to show a little bit of gun as they reach for a book? There's lots of sort of contextual discussions that you need to have. Now, certainly... People pointing guns at folks or putting their hand on guns or displaying their guns in a threatening way. We want to clear everybody out as best as we can, uh, get people to evacuate the area, and then call the police. And, and also think about kind of the way that we talk to the police about people inside the library with a gun. You can say to the dispatcher, look, I'm calling from the library. There is a patron inside here who we see a gun in this person's backpack, we're concerned about it, could you send a police officer? Now that is a different 911 conversation where you call up the dispatcher and you're screaming, there's somebody in the library with a gun. That will cause a completely different response by the PD. The Sheriff's Department will come in in kind of an active shooter mode as a completely different response. So make sure that we use the right descriptions, the right language to describe to the dispatcher what's actually happening. Is this an imminent threat with somebody's pointing a gun at somebody versus we see it in somebody's backpack or in their waistband or something like that? My sense of people bringing guns into public buildings like the library and things like that is sometimes based on their just ignorance of the law. Uh, it's not your job to explain the law to them, but it is our job to make sure that we have the right posted um, uh, signage, we have the right code of conduct that is, it is up to speed with what our current state laws are so that we can at least point to those as the reason we're making the decision to ask them to, to take out their firearm, you know, put it in their, leave it in their car before they come back to the library, something like that. Again, we're not trying to cause a confrontation that turns into a, a, a shootout. We're not trying to cause a confrontation that shows up on the local or national news, but we have a right to create a safe environment. And I think that sometimes when we see the issues of guns, it's easy sometimes to overreact and make the other person overreact. We also want to use discretion when talking to them, you know, good space and distance and having a clear, quiet conversation with this person about what's going on and saying to them, hey, can you put your, your firearm back in your car or can you, can you not come back inside with it um, because it's against our policy? It's different than, you know, um, asking everybody to call the police and, and rush out of the building unless that's what we need to do. So when we look at the rare possibility of an active shooter in a library situation, um, I say rare because we've certainly had shootings in libraries. <clears throat> we've had a library uh, manager shot and killed in the parking lot in Natomas, which is in Sacramento, uh, a few years back. We've had a library security officer stabbed in upstate New York by a, by a, a patron. <clears throat> we've had a um, homeless individual who stabbed a library uh, a director in Florida as he was opening the library on a Saturday for a book fair. So not necessarily always firearms. But we've had attacks on library professionals before. We've had active shooters over the past 20 or 30 years or so where the library has been an environment where the attacker has chosen to target people. In the cases that I recall where the, the attacker came into a library, it was typically a college library, a college or a university library or a community college library. I remember some cases in California where that happened. Obviously, these perpetrators choose the library because they assume that there are no police officers inside or armed security guards inside. It would be rare, in my opinion, to see armed security inside a library in the United States. Typically, we would have either sheriff's um, security officers who are not necessarily sheriff's deputies but are, are work for the sheriff's department, or we'd have armed police officers or sheriff's deputies who work on a contract basis or a part-time basis 
or on an overtime basis inside libraries. Now, we've certainly uh, seen a discussion in the last year in 2020 about whether or not the police need to be inside libraries, and I'm respectful of those opinions that say we don't need armed police officers inside our library. And when I look at that discussion, I also want to think about uh, one of the reasons why the police response, at least to the library, is very important is for the concept of the active shooter. We look at the active shooter as someone who comes into a public building, uh, comes into a private office, or a school, a college, a K-12 school, or a college or university with the intent on killing as many people as possible and then killing themselves. They typically don't shoot it out with the police. They typically don't have a hostage situation. They typically hear the sirens coming and they, they shoot themselves um, within the 8 to 10 minutes it takes for the police to get there. Or as soon as the police come on, on scene, oftentimes they will point their guns at the police or shoot at them in order to be killed, what we would call suicide by cop. In the United States, the concept of the active shooter at the mall, at the movie theater, at the restaurant, at the hospital, at the sporting event, at the concert, um, things that we have seen over the years in, in various and sundry cities around the United States, has led us to the concept called run-hide-fight. And run-hide-fight is the national protocol by the Department of Homeland Security as to what we want people to do. Um, anybody who's working or as a customer or a movie theater goer or something like that or a concert goer, in any of these rare possibilities, and thank God they are rare, we have a lot of active shooters, but a lot of these situations are things that start in bars and have to do with gangs and drugs and things like that. But the actual real-life active shooter in a public building, K-12 school, hospital, something like that, we use this concept known as run, hide, fight. The National Protocol of Run, Hide, Fight was really driven by the Department of Homeland Security and their creation of a video about 10 years ago called Run, Hide, Fight. Many of you may have seen these videos, and if you've ever been to one of my live training programs on library security, I've shown a version of a Run, Hide, Fight video, either the one I'm going to tell you about or the one that, that I use that's also related to the college and university system. So if you are to put into YouTube Run, Hide, Fight, <laughs> Department of Homeland Security and or City of Houston, Texas, or any combination of those three things, you'll pull up a video which is about eight minutes long. This video starts off with some people working in an office environment and a guy who looks like Vin Diesel, bald, shotgun, black clothing, sunglasses, comes in and starts shooting people. It's not a bloody video, but it can be a little bit disturbing. If you're uh, disturbed about things like that in that scenario, simply drag the cursor for the video to about the 90-second mark, about a minute and a half, and you'll skip the shotgun part. There's no blood and guts in the, in the video, but it can be a little shocking, especially to see it in, in a training environment you know, where the speakers are turned up loud. Um, I oftentimes uh, look at the, the training video and say, well, we can skip the first 90 seconds. This is where he comes in and shoots folks uh, in this sort of staged, dramatic uh, recreation that they've done in the video. So the video is done by the city of Houston, Texas, and the Department of Homeland Security. The guy goes through the building trying to kill people, and it shows the three steps that we're going to talk about. Run out of the building, taking as many people as you can with you. Hide out inside the building using whatever you can, heavy furniture, things like objects, you know, copy machines and things, to put in front of the door. And then the third choice, which is, of course, the least palatable, and the reason it is the third choice is to fight back. Um, it is possible, and we have seen it many times in our world, to stop these perpetrators, even if they are armed with a handgun or a shotgun or a rifle, because we use the element of surprise 
We use sheer numbers of people, and we use things like distance weapons, like a fire extinguisher to the face, you know, where this person sprayed with it or something like that to stop these attackers. So let's start back at the beginning. The run part of run, hide, fight means that you run out of the building as quickly and safely as possible. Don't fall down and break your ankle, but as safely as possible, grab as many people as you can, coworkers, bosses, little kids, uh, the elderly, the disabled, however many people that you try to move out, patrons that you try to move out, if you can give them to get them to follow your commands, verbal commands, or if you grab them physically, if they're unable to move quickly, little kids or the disabled, something like that, you may put children or disabled patrons into a rolling office chair and push them out the door that way. I've seen situations where a kid gets wrapped up in a blanket or a group of kids get thrown into a blanket and sort of carried out that way, sort of, you know, burrito style where they're wrapped up and they can be safe. <clears throat> and then we look at getting as far from the building as possible and making it possible for everybody to, to get out of the building safely and leave the police to go in and engage with the attacker. Now, the good news about the police training is they know the run, hide, fight thing intimately. They train on it exclusively. They know how to do it with other agencies. So it may be state police. It could be the Border Patrol. It could be the FBI. It could be Sheriff's Department, PD, all coming together and responding to these situations. You may have the railroad police. You may have community college police. You may have K-12 through school police coming, and they've all been trained in this run, hide, fight model, and they know what to do when they get there. What makes the run, hide, fight part different in terms of the run is that you don't stay near the building. You get as far from the building as possible, and here's why. In some of these active shooter situations, these perpetrators are armed with rifles, and you can be as close as a quarter mile and still get struck by a stray round fired by one of these perpetrators. So we want to be as far from the building as possible. There's a couple reasons for that besides just the safety issue of a stray round. The other is we don't want to be in the way of responding law enforcement or responding paramedics or firefighters coming into the situation, and we don't want to get caught up in a, in a traffic jam or something where we're trying to drive our car away from the scene and we can't do it. So you want to make sure you get away on foot as best as you can as far from the building as possible. If you have the chance to get into your own personal vehicle and load as many people as you can with and drive away safely and, and effectively and quickly out of there, then do that. So it may be useful to get in your car and get away if you can do it before the paramedics and the police and, and the fire trucks arrive because that situation is going to be chaotic and you can get a lot of distance by using your car to get away. So think of the run part as your ability to get as many people out of the library, patrons and, and colleagues and coworkers as you can in a very unsafe, high-stress, difficult environment. That's step one. Step two is if you're not able to leave the building, not able to run out successfully is to hide. And here we look at break room, restroom, conference room, supervisor's office, training room, someplace we store the old books, someplace we store the old physical files, someplace we put the mops and the brooms and the cleaning supplies, <clears throat> the kitchen, the break room, someplace in a perfect world that would at least have a door that you could lock and maybe no windows and a light switch that you could control and maybe some heavy objects inside, tables, chairs, desks, copy machines, bookcases, and things like that. Don't discount the value in the library of putting a bookcase full of books, if you can move it in there quickly, uh, let's say it's a half shelf, up against the, the door. Uh, bullets can always go through lots of things, but they can't always go through books when they're, they're stacked up. And so I've seen books used as a way, as kind of a, a shield up against the door, because uh, if we get enough books up there, it'll, it'll stop, stop bullets of a handgun. 
So when we look at that type of situation, you can't predict what's going to stop bullets and what doesn't stop bullets. So make sure you're not standing in front of the doorway or what's called the fatal funnel. So you need to be away from the doorway. As soon as you can barricade the door and shut the lights off, go to a far corner or a side, side part of the room that's away from the door frame or out of the door, you know, that sort of fatal funnel, and make a call to 911. When you call 911 on the rare possibility of an active shooter, you want to make sure you give as much detail and description as you can, what the per perpetrator looks like, what this person is wearing, what they are carrying, what type of weapon, if you know what it is, um, what, what they look like if they're by themselves, if, they're, if they're, there's more than one person, which is extremely rare. We've seen only five cases in the United States that involve multiple perpetrators, and, and that's extremely rare. Columbine would be number one. And make that, that discussion with the dispatcher as quick and as, as efficient and effective as possible to let them know what's happening. The good news about the dispatch process is that the cops can get information from the dispatcher as you're saying it. So the dispatcher will be able to type to the responding field officers what's happening as soon as you're telling them what's going on. They get this in their mobile data terminals as they arrive at the scene, and they can get it in their ear as they come in. Um, many cops have earpieces now attached to their radios so they can get an update as they come inside the building. So if you are able to barricade the door and, and lock down, or what we call shelter in place, that's step number two, and it's very effective. There is a bit of a moral dilemma when it comes to the hideout part. You'll see this in different discussions with people about the hiding out part as to whether or not you allow other people into your safe area, into your safe room. So one school of thought says once you're inside a safe room, don't let anybody inside there, other, other uh, patrons, other coworkers, because it will compromise the safety of that room and the perpetrator could come inside and shoot everybody. The other school of thought is let's be humane, let's be as human being as, as we can and bring in everybody no matter what's happening in that situation. And that's the school that I lean towards, which is, okay, I admit that there's a possibility that you could compromise the safety of the room, but I could not live with myself if one of my colleagues or somebody was pounding on the door saying, let me in, let me in, and I, I didn't let them in. So you can make your own decision in terms of an ethical value judgment, but if it was up to me, I'm going to bring as many people inside the safe room as I can, and, and I don't want folks pounding on the door. A, it draws attention to the shooter, and I think we can get them inside as safely as possible and then re-secure the door and wait for the arrival of the police. The third choice is the fight back part, and that's sort of the one that's the least palatable for lots of people, but I think it's necessary to think about. When you think about fighting back, know that many times these perpetrators don't know anything about your building. They've not been inside of it. They don't know anything about it. They certainly don't know the behind-the-scenes area, unless there's an ex-employee, and then we have a different story in our hands. But if they were to make entry into the safe room and your lights are off, which they should be, and you're crouched around the door, not standing in front of it, but crouched around the door, you can tackle this person and stop them when they come inside. I've seen this happen in lots of videos of these situations, and it takes bravery and courage, but it is possible. The second thing is we can bombard this person with every heavy object we, we can get our hands on. Fire extinguisher, a pot of hot coffee, heavy books, chairs. Um, two people holding onto a table and knocking the person over with it. I've seen all these scenarios happen, and they are successful. Keep in mind that these perpetrators don't expect resistance. They think that they, because they have a gun, they can stop everybody. They don't expect people to fight back. They expect people to lay on the floor and wait to be killed. I have been asked many times in my career, do you think it is appropriate or safe to lie on the floor and play possum and pretend to be dead as the perpetrator is walking by? 
Um, I do not think this is an effective approach. Do not think it's useful and would not do it myself and do not advise other people to do it. My opinion in that situation is that you fight back no matter what. <clears throat> Allowing this person to just walk by and shoot everybody who's laying on the ground is not a useful strategy. It's not a defensive strategy from my standpoint, and I would not do it. Okay, so there's two videos that I talked about. One is the Department of Homeland Security, City of Houston, Texas video, the run, hide, fight one, the, the um, a six or eight minute video. That's perfectly fine. The one I like even better and the one that I typically use more often in my training programs is a California State University video. And if you put in California State University system and run, hide, fight, it'll pop up as a, a an animated screen with a, a white screen with animated characters on it. And it's very well done. Um, I've used it many, many times. I think it's far superior to the run, hide, fight video that's done by the city of Houston, Texas. I think it, in about um, eight or ten minutes, it covers the same information, but in a much more empowering way. I think uh, students like the video quite a lot. I typically show it, uh, I would say, 15, 14, 15-year-olds 15 and above. Um, I use it in college and university trainings. A lot of people resonate with it. I think it, it really um, registers well and, and sinks in with millennial employees. And I like the video, the way it's done. It's, it's narrated by a very calm woman who talks about the choices of run, hide, fight. It's done in such a way that, that the people in the end of the scenario are, are successful and survive and they fight back and they stop this, this perpetrator, even though it's a, it's a cartoon, it still makes really good sense. So if I had to do my choice between the two, I would choose the, the um, California State University system run, hide, fight video. So put that into YouTube, take a look at it. And also I think about showing the video kind of at regular opportunities. If you're a supervisor, consider showing the video once a year. You may show it as part of new employee orientation, not to frighten new employees, but to at least give them a sense that we have considered this issue, the rare possibility of an active shooter in the library. The second is you may use it after an event that happens in our country. God forbid we have another active shooter, but it is, it is necessary to educate everybody in the workforce as to what's going on. So if we have a national event, you may use either of the two videos to show staff and to talk about. And then the third thing to think about besides just new employee orientation or as a reminder for, for on, onboard staff <clears throat> is as part of a drill. I can't get a lot of my clients to do drills. Uh, they'll do an earthquake drill or a tornado drill or a fire drill, but I can't get a lot of them to do a run, hide, fight drill. I'm not sure why. Uh, they tell me things like it disrupts the business or it frightens people. I'm not talking about bringing in you know, a SWAT team and using fake blood and things like that. I'm just saying, could we, in my perfect library world, set up a situation where once a year we do an active shooter drill for 15 minutes? And the way the 15-minute drill works is you're an employee, and before the library opens, we're going to say, okay, the drill is going to begin at you know, 8.30 in the morning, and it's going to be a 15-minute drill, and you have two choices. Once we say active shooter drill has begun, you should leave the library for 15 minutes, so power walk for seven and a half minutes away from the library, and then power walk seven and a half minutes back, or hide out in some version of the library. Now, for my clients who have done this, I walk around with a clipboard and I see if I can catch people either inside the library and I can get into their hiding place, or outside the library, I see them when they're standing around outside the building. In my perfect world, we would do the drill where you're not near the building if you go outside, or inside the library, you have managed to barricade the facility so I can't get inside, and i.e. the active shooter cannot get inside as well. So when I've seen people do the drill successfully, we don't find them outside the library, 
We don't find them staged in some location outside the library because we don't stage anymore. We used to stage for bomb threats. Those are hoaxes, by the way. We used to stage for active shooter things like that. Well, that's that's just puts the bad guy into an area where he can kill people that are standing around outside the library. So we don't stage anymore. So once you get out, out of the library, go far away and don't don't gather around the flagpole or the or the parking garage or anything like that. Go far away. And in the the second part where you're hiding out inside, make sure that you've chosen a room that I can't get inside. When I'm the pretend active shooter, I'll just walk around and see if I can get inside the building. So we don't have to demonstrate the fight part, just the run and the hide. So in my perfect library world, we do the run-hide drill once a year for about 15 minutes. So these things are rare. People bringing firearms into the library, people coming into the library with guns that have an idea of being an active shooter or an armed perpetrator as their, as their mission. These things are thankfully quite rare. But as in all things in life, when we have these types of scenarios which have happened before, we have to prepare for them. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon. For more information, visit Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht, and thanks for listening to the Library Safety and Security Podcast.